Hello and welcome back to Tectonic, a show in which we look at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. In this episode, we speak to someone leading the drive to make big tech environmentally responsible. I think my perspective, as you said, having worked on these issues from different sides, is we truly need everyone. You know, the urgency around climate is very great. You know, science tells us we have roughly 11 years to make massive change. So I think we truly need everyone. There is an important role for policymakers, but equally I think there's an important role for businesses and for individual action as well. That was Kate Brandt, Chief Sustainability Officer at Google. She came into the studio to talk about her work in helping to minimize the use of energy in the tech giant's operations and supply chains, and about Google's Environmental Insights Explorer, which helps cities find ways to reduce their carbon emissions. Kate, welcome to the Financial Times. Thank you so much for having me. You have the wonderful job title of Google's Global Sustainability Officer. What does that mean? What do you do? In my role, I partner across the business, across our operations, our products, and supply chain to drive our sustainability initiatives. And what were you doing before? You worked in the government, I believe. Prior to coming to Google, I was in Washington, D.C., serving in our federal government. So I worked in the White House as the federal chief sustainability officer, and I also held roles at our energy ministry at the Department of Energy and our defense ministry at the Pentagon. So how does the public sector and the private sector compare in this domain? I've really enjoyed my work in both sectors. I think for me what was exciting about doing the work in public service was the scale. You know, the U.S. federal government is the single largest user of energy in the world, so we really had major opportunities to drive change. But what really drew me to Google is the role of technology. You know, we not only think about how we strive to build sustainability into all of Google's operations, but we're also interested in how we utilize our technology to enable everyone, businesses, policymakers, you know, individuals, to build a more sustainable world. So I really love that aspect of my role at Google. What, what made the biggest difference when you were in government? I mean, what, what do you, you say the U.S. government was the biggest energy consumer? What would really move the dial in terms of the federal government? So one of the major areas of commitment in the federal government, which is not dissimilar to our work at Google, was looking at how we drove deep energy efficiency across the federal government's operations. And we we looked at a a tool called energy savings performance contracts. So how could we partner with the private sector to drive really deep energy efficiency across the federal government's building fleet? And then we also looked at renewable energy. So for example, just our Department of Defense alone made a commitment to purchase three gigawatts of renewable energy. And that's actually very similar to a lot of the work that we've been doing at Google around renewable energy. You're from California, so you went back to California to work for Google. And what are the main priorities at Google in terms of sustainability? Yeah, so at Google, the thing that I really love about the program is that sustainability has truly been a core value since our founding. And it's grown up inside the business. And where we find ourselves today is, you know, we really think about it across two areas. One is striving to build sustainability into everything that we do. So that's how we operate our data centers, our offices, how we think about our supply chain. But also, you know, as I said, that role of our technology, how can we enable action, give data and insights? Right. And you're a carbon zero company? Yes. So since 2007, we've operated as a carbon neutral company. And we really think about that as a three-part strategy. The first is to be as energy efficient as possible. The second is to match all of our electricity use with renewables. And then the third is to purchase high quality carbon offsets. Uh, And how difficult is that to do? 
It is absolutely challenging. You know, it's been a program that has had to, you know, scale with the growth of our business. And we have an incredible team that leads all of our renewable procurement. So we started this program in 2010 in very early days. And in 2012, we made that commitment that we ultimately wanted to match 100% of our energy use. And we've now met that goal for the last two years in 2017 and 2018. And that's required us to become the largest corporate purchaser of renewable energy in the world. So we have contracts to purchase wind and solar around the globe. And through that work, we've also really been trying to not only meet our own goals at Google, but also create more opportunity for other businesses to do the same, and also to engage with policymakers and utilities to drive greater access to renewable energy and green grids around the world. And has this been driven by corporate ideology on your part, or is it also a very good energy and cost-saving initiative? For you know much of the work, I think there's both really a strong business case as well as we really feel like it's the right thing to do. It's the responsibility of a global business. And so, for example, on the energy efficiency work, energy is a huge input to our business. You know, data centers require a lot of energies to operate. So the more efficient we can become, we can also really reduce cost to our business. And we've continued to think about how we innovate in that space. And one of the interesting things we've been doing recently, um, in partnership with our DeepMind team, who's here in London, is looking at the role of machine learning in optimizing industrial systems. And then on the renewable energy front, equally, What we've been able to do through the program is, of course, drive environmental benefit, but also create price certainty. You know, the way that we're doing our procurement is we're locking in a long-term price for energy. So then we have price certainty, even if the cost of grid power increases. Uh You mentioned DeepMind there. How are they helping you to reduce your energy consumption? In the data center, one of the components that requires a lot of energy is the cooling system. So what the team has done is they've looked at a bunch of sensor data, power, temperature, pump speeds, and then created an AI-powered efficiency recommendation system. And that's enabled us to see a 30% increase in efficiency in that cooling system. So we're now beginning to apply that across our whole data center fleet. But also now we're thinking about how can we productize this? How can we make this a tool that other industrial systems operators could use? And how do you do that? Because I know DeepMind were working with National Grid in this country, and it's extraordinarily difficult to take that machine learning methodology and then apply it at massive scale across the country, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, the DeepMind Energy team have been amazing partners to us, and I think we've learned so much through doing this work in our own operations, and that's a lot of the way that we like to learn. We call it dog food at Google, you know, eat your own dog food, experiment at home first, and really learn a lot. So that work has really taught us a lot of lessons about how to apply machine learning, where it's useful, and frankly, where it's not. And one of the big learnings has been you need a really strong, clean data set. We sort of say it's garbage in, garbage out. You know, if you don't have good data, machine learning isn't going to be a good application. But that's where in a data set like an industrial system where you have really good sensor data, that becomes a very good application. And when you're working with external partners, I mean, how easy is it to come up with a system whereby it's mutually beneficial? Because clearly there are big challenges over who owns the data, who owns the intellectual property that you can create off that data, who owns the right to commercialize the methodology as well. Are we still really at the beginnings of working out how we're going to do this in the future? A lot of our external partnerships have actually been with NGOs. So we've done a lot of really interesting work focused on our geomapping platforms and how we can create data and tools that can be used by scientists, by researchers, by policymakers. So one great example is we've partnered up with two NGOs, Oceana and SkyTruth, to build an open source platform called Global Fishing Watch. 
So what we've done there is we've taken a public data set that's called the Automatic Identification System. And basically what that is is any ship that's out sailing the high seas, they have to constantly ping out their location. So we trained a machine learning algorithm to understand what did a fishing boat look like as opposed to a tugboat or a tanker, and then what did it actually look like when it was fishing, and then applied that to cloud computing, geomapping, and created a real-time visualization of all global fishing activity. And so that's now being used by governments to create marine protected areas. So there's five new marine protected areas that have been created, mm -hmm. and we've just open-sourced all that data through those partnerships. Okay, now you've just been at the Web Summit in Lisbon, where I think you announced a new Startups Accelerator program for sustainable development goals. Tell us more about that. Yes, so we're really excited about this new program. This comes through our Google for Startups team. And the thinking here is startups in the social impact space don't actually have a lot of community to engage with the way that traditional startups do. So we really want to very much create a cohort, create more community for startups that are looking at social impact. And so across the sustainable development goals, we're thinking we'll particularly focus on topics like climate, on equality, poverty, and then really looking at startups that are here in Europe and also in the Middle East and Africa. So we'll have a first cohort of about eight to 10 startups, and we'll be focusing on three major topics with them. The first is around application of technology, so giving them access to Google tools like AI and machine learning, as well as expertise to have partners inside of Google that they can work with. Also thinking about monetization, you know, with a social impact business, it can be hard to really develop that monetization strategy, so partnering there. And then the third is access to capital, helping to create introductions so that these companies can get better access. So, you know, for us, we, of course, are still very connected to our startup roots, even though we're now, you know, 21 years old, but we want to really help to build that community. So would you invest impact. in them or would Google Ventures invest directly in them or would you just help them raise capital elsewhere? Yeah, for now, it's more about creating those introductions and really building that community. And social impact investing, as you mentioned, I mean, is a very difficult game to get right, isn't it? Do you prioritize the social impact? Or do you prioritize the fact that you've got to generate a commercial return? I mean, do you have a view on that as a company or will you allow these companies really to experiment with different models themselves? Our role in the case of the accelerator will really be to support these businesses and just give them access to expertise and enable them to thrive. Right. And is this a program that you're running in other parts of the world already? Not yet. So this is a brand new program. And so we're starting with this first cohort early in 2020, and then we're planning a second cohort later in the year. Right. Now, one of the other areas that we've touched on a bit is the circular economy, which I know is central to your thinking at yes. Google. And you have 15 data centers around the world, I think. Can you tell us how does the thinking about the circular economy affect the operations of these data centers? What are you doing? Yes, so back in June, we set a global circular economy goal for Google, which is that we want to maximize the reuse of finite resources across our operations, our products, and our supply chains, and enable others to do the same. And there's basically three core principles that we look at in this work. It's about designing out waste and pollution, keeping products and materials in use, and enabling the use of safe chemistry and healthy materials. So when it comes to the data center, we've been really applying these principles at scale. And when you look in a data center, you know, for anyone who's seen pictures or even had chances to visit one, they're filled with servers, with thousands and thousands of servers. So we've really tried to work on applying circular economy approaches to how we manage those servers. So first what we do is we use component parts from old machines to do basic upgrades and repairs. Then we also have a program where we can pull servers off the floor and remanufacture them so we can upgrade certain aspects but actually keep a lot of the material intact. Then the third aspect is 
once we don't have any use anymore for some of the server components, we can wipe them clean and then sell them on secondary markets. And we did that with 3.2 million units last year. And then whatever. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. leftover we can shred it and recycle it so in that way we're really able to close the loop in many cases and drive more circular impact and also save a lot of money hundreds of millions of dollars per year so that's kind of that economy in the circular economy does this apply just to the data centers or is it something that's corporate wide as well yeah no it's absolutely corporate wide so we're really interested in how do we bring these principles and strategies to life across the business so another area where we've put a lot of focus is food waste you know food waste globally is a huge challenge about a third of food gets wasted globally and at Google, you know, we're very fortunate. We can have three meals a day at work and, you know, snacks in between. And so we really want to manage that program very responsibly. And one of the great opportunities we've found is designing out food waste in our kitchens. So we've partnered up with this technology company called Lean Path. And they have a system that's a scale and a camera. You can bring it into the kitchen. At the end of each meal service, the team of chefs can weigh and take a photo of anything that's left over the top of a carrot or a packet of chicken in the fridge that may have expired. And in that way, we get greater insights into what food we actually do and don't use. So we can waste far less food. 6.6 million pounds of food waste have been avoided since we started this in 2014. And also you save a lot of money because you're not buying food that you don't need. I'd like to talk a bit about the more general effects of the digitization of the economy because, I mean, in one sense, instinctively, you would feel that when we move from the material to the immaterial world, this should be a good thing. But data economy is clearly a massive consumer of energy itself. I mean, these data centers are enormous consumers of energy. And also you have the impact in the real world. So the New York Times, for example, had a very interesting report recently about how the internet was bringing chaos to New York streets. They're all clogged up by delivery vehicles. There are 1.5 million deliveries a day in New York. And from 1990 to 2017, I think these increased deliveries meant that carbon dioxide emissions from vehicles in New York grew by 27% over that time. So we tend to think of the internet economy as being a good thing for the environment, but when it interfaces with the real world, it can often create some unintended consequences. Given both your roles at the federal government and at Google, I mean, what do you think about the new economy that we're creating? What are the pluses and negatives? Yeah, this is a topic we think about a lot. And so at Google, because we've had this focus on energy efficiency, as compared to five years ago, we're now getting seven times more compute for the same amount of electricity. And the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory did a study a few years ago where they looked across the data center industry in the US and they saw that over the course of that five years, even though data centers had grown significantly, energy use had held flat because across the industry there is this focus on efficiency. So that's really key. And then secondly, as I mentioned, we and, and increasingly other data center operators have this focus on renewable energy. So ensuring that we're 
matching the energy use that we have with renewable sources, and that's actually enabling the greening of grids. So that's been a huge focus for us on the data center operations side. And then on the other side of the house around shipments, that's also something that we think a lot about. So you know, for us, we have our Made by Google product line of hardware. We're focused on really building sustainability into every aspect of that business. But one of the areas we think about is shipping. And there again, we're also looking at carbon neutrality. So we made a commitment in August that we wanted to enable carbon neutral shipping to and from all of our customers. And then last month we announced that we've actually met that goal. So now all of How have you done that? How do you do carbon neutral shipping? We're purchasing high quality carbon offsets to offset those emissions from shipping. So we're able to work with our shipping partners to understand what that carbon footprint is. And then we purchase high quality carbon offsets to neutralize that Mm -hmm. footprint. And what about the general digitalization of the economy? Do you think on a net basis this is a good thing or it's a positive or does it create unintended consequences? I do think on a net basis it's a positive. It's obviously something that we need to be very thoughtful and responsible about. But I think, you know, again, the example that we were discussing earlier around, you know, machine learning, we're just, I think, at the tip of the spear of understanding tremendous applications for positive impact where we can utilize technologies to really drive very deep energy efficiency and also to create great insights. Talking of insights, you also run the Environmental Insights Explorer. Can you tell us about that? Indeed. So the Environmental Insights Explorer is a tool that we've built with the Global Covenant of Mayors, which is an organization that partners with cities to help reducing climate impact. So what we've done with this tool is we've utilized unique Google data sets around transportation emissions, building emissions, and the solar potential of rooftops. And then we've put that into a tool that cities can use to get a baseline assessment of their carbon footprint and then set climate action targets. So we've been rolling this out across many cities over the last couple of months, and we just announced some new cities, including here in the UK, we have Birmingham, and several other cities. And then also in Ireland, we've brought on Dublin and Fingal County. So we're really excited about this tool and we're already seeing the kind of impact it can drive. We have a city just down the road from our headquarters called San Jose. They were working on their climate action plan and they wanted to set a really aggressive solar target for the city. So they used this tool to assess the solar potential of their rooftops and then they felt confident setting a one gigawatt target for San Jose. So those are the kind of impacts that we want to drive. I tried to look up London on your site that you've got London, Canada, but not yet London, UK. Not yet, but many more cities are on the way. What are the tangible benefits that you're hoping these cities will get? Globally, cities account for over 70% of carbon emissions. So really the idea is that if we can put data and insights in the hands of city policymakers, then they can set climate targets that are ambitious and actually really based on what's possible. So in the San Jose example, now the city really knows they have that capacity to develop the one gigawatt of solar and then they can implement policies to help them get there. You have this fascinating dual background of having worked in the public sector and the private sector. And I guess in the environmental movement, there are two camps. One suggests that it is the market that is the problem rather than the solution. And climate change can only really be solved by non-market solutions and very heavy government intervention. And the others, I was just reading the Green New Deal by Jeremy Rifkin, who argues that the market is a fantastic thing for the environment. As he puts it, the market is a guardian angel looking over humanity when it comes to environmental transformation. I think I can guess which camp you're in, but I mean, how can the market deliver on what we need to do sufficiently quickly and at global scale, do you think? 
I think my perspective, as you said, having worked on these issues from different sides, is we truly need everyone. You know, the urgency around climate is very great. You know, science tells us we have roughly 11 years to make massive change. So I think we truly need everyone. There is an important role for policymakers, but equally I think there's an important role for businesses and for individual action as well. And when I think about the role of business, I mentioned this longstanding work we've had at Google around corporate renewable power buying. That has played a really key role in driving down the cost of renewables. So we've seen you know, wind and solar costs have come down between 67 and 80 plus percent over the last several years. In many places, it's actually a cheaper solution than traditional power. And corporate renewable power buying is really helping to drive a lot of that action. We're members of a group here with companies doing this work across Europe called the Resource Platform. And that's exactly what we're trying to do, bring business together to engage with policymakers to say, how do we develop smart policy that can help green grids that also has this very strong business case behind it? Google is also known for moonshot thinking. We've talked in the past with Bill Gates and the Breakthrough Energy Coalition. Are there moonshot technologies that you think would help get us a long way towards a more sustainable impact? Yeah, so the moonshot target that we've set for ourselves in this space is what we call 24 by 7 carbon-free energy. So the goal there is, you know, today we are matching 100% of our energy use with renewables. So that means on an annual basis, we're buying as much renewable energy as we're consuming. But our really ultimate end goal is to say we actually want to be operating on carbon-free energy. And so we're getting some of the way there at our data center in Finland. We've done the analysis and based on the renewables that we've helped to get onto the grid as well as other carbon-free energy sources that are already present, we're at about 97% carbon-free energy in that data center. But there's many places around the world where that's not possible yet. So that's going to require policy change, you know, new technology. But that's the vision and that's where we feel like we all have to get to really address climate change meaningfully. Are you optimistic about our chances of dealing with this issue? I mean, as you were saying, there's an incredibly tight deadline. And I'm always struck by Bill McKibben, the environmental writer, who said that when it comes to climate change, winning slowly is losing. We can do a lot of good things, as Google is clearly doing in this area. But is it on a global scale enough? I think the challenge is obviously great, and it can be daunting for people. Frankly, it's daunting to me. But at the same time, I'm incredibly encouraged by how much engagement we're now seeing across policy, business, individuals on this topic. You know, I think that's so critical and we truly need everyone to engage. And so my perspective is there's a lot of important work that we've done at Google that others have done, but also we all really need to do more. But I am optimistic and I'm particularly heartened by this potential role of technology when we're seeing these opportunities like machine learning driving a 30% increase in efficiency. Those are the kind of interventions that we need, and I'm excited to see us explore those further. What do you think finally needs to be done that is not being done at the moment at a global level? I think it's really exactly what we were just discussing. I think we need more engagement from everyone, but I think the tide is starting to turn on that. I think there's something about 2019 that I feel like the tide has really turned, how we're seeing so much more interest from individuals asking for change, I think that's what we need. I think we need everyone to get engaged. And there's clearly a a massive shift in public opinion on this, but is there a sense in corporate America that this is now front of everyone's agenda? 
I think so. You know, we get the chance to engage with a lot of business leaders. And what I've been hearing is that sustainability is a CEO level topic across the board inside of global businesses today. And I think that's where it needs to be. But I'm excited to hear that we've reached that juncture. Great. We must end it there. But thank you very much, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tectonic. In the meantime, we welcome comments and suggestions from listeners. So please email us at tectonic at ft.com and let us know what you think of the show. Tectonic is produced by Fiona Simon.